Who won the midterm elections? The Democrats, the Republicans, or Ukraine? And a high-ranking Oath Keeper revealed to be an FBI informant in a pretty wild story. You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Top story today is obviously the midterm elections, which last a day, a week, a month, a year, a couple of years. I don't know how long they're going to last. I know we're going to get at least another month's worth of midterm election news because the race in the Georgia Senate between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock is going to be going to a runoff that will be on December 6th. And the votes are still coming in in a number of key races that they say could take up to a month to count, which apparently we, we spend all of our time counting at this point. The, the future, America, everybody's going to have a job. We're all going to be gainfully employed and we're all just going to be counting votes all of the time while Klaus Schwab is up in his tower up in the sky, a thousand feet in the sky, looking down upon us, eating caviar and drinking the blood of Greta Thunberg, holding his hands out saying, democracy, democracy. Based on the results thus far of the midterm elections, the consensus in the media is that, and from President Biden, he spoke today, is that overall the midterms were a big win for Democrats and democracy. Democracy was on the ballot and man, did it win we saved democracy is what they're telling us. And it it was a big loss for Trump and the anti-democratic election deniers, as the media and Biden puts it. What it actually was, was a big win for Ukraine, big win for Volodymyr Zelensky, and a big win for the Great Reset is what it really was, as well as a big win for the possibility of World War III. Those are the true winners of these midterm elections. More on that here in a moment. First, let's go over real quick, what they say is going to happen when it comes to the House and the Senate. Undecided. We still don't know because everything is undecided. However, we're told that it appears that the Republicans will win back the House, but just at a smaller margin than expected. The acceptable Republicans are in as, as long as well as some Democrats. Those who question things, not as many of them won, and the Democrats and Biden are very happy about that. And as for the Senate, also undecided. However, with Fetterman beating Dr. Oz, as of right now, it's leaning towards the Democrats. However, I believe there's four key races that are still out. And if I had to guess, here's how it's going to go. Whatever number needs to work out in those three that will they'll finish the vote counting before we get to the runoff between Walker and Warnock. And it'll all come down to Walker and Warnock for all the marbles. So to maximize the drama and capture all of our attention, that's what I'm anticipating to happen, which personally, with all this talk of democracy being under threat and the fear of another January 6th happening, I would think that the Democrats would want Herschel Walker to win that Senate seat instead of trying to beat him. So, I mean, who's going to storm the Capitol when you know Herschel Walker's inside? He's not running from anybody. He's taking the mob head on. Nobody's storming the Capitol. Herschel Walker is jacked. I would think Democrats would want that. And you pair him alongside Fetterman, who's going to be like the uh, Andre the Giant of the Senate. Nobody's messing with that tag team duo. It'll be like an 80s action movie. They'll be going through the Capitol. Fetterman's just picking up insurrectionists, just squeezing their head, tossing them through a window off a wall. I'm surprised the Democrats didn't get a Senator Mike Tyson in there. Then nobody will ever even think about coming into the Capitol again. I personally would also love it if... Walker won, and he was like sat next to Fetterman, you know, because nobody would understand anything 
either one of them were ever talking about, except maybe them. Maybe they would only understand each other perfectly and they would become fast friends and the most unlikely bipartisan duo to push things through Congress in history. Maybe it'll work out wonderfully for all of us. So overall, the media, as I said, is celebrating this less because it's a win for the Democrats and more because it, you know, they say it's a loss for Trump and the MAGA, mega MAGA. What's the term now? Mega MAGA, triple mega MAGA. I don't know which one Biden's using right now, but the quote election deniers or whatever they say that they are, people who question things, they lost out. And that is what they're really thrilled about. That is how democracy was saved. So we're told. But here's the thing. It wasn't just Americans who were invested in the outcome of these midterms. As I hinted at a moment ago, Volodymyr Zelensky the green shirt man himself and Ukrainian officials in NATO, they were all watching the midterms closely as well because they wanted to make sure that that money keeps flowing in to Zelensky and his Nazis in the Azov battalion. So they had a lot invested in our midterms. And that's why this is being celebrated because they can continue their plans for World War III, the Great Reset, without having too many hitches get in their way. And I'm going to play a clip that I've played a number of of times. It's from Davos back in May, I believe, from a panel discussion that's called The View from Capitol Hill. A bunch of Congress people and senators on stage, and they're all being drilled by this woman, this British moderator. I believe she's like a financial expert over in the UK, who is insisting that she get all of them on the record about whether or not the US will continue after the midterm elections to send billions of dollars of weapons packages and money over to Ukraine despite the fact that they know, the world knows that a bunch of America first, mega MAGA Republicans, quote, election deniers, anti-democratic people are going to be running and could win office and then vote against sending all of that money over to the uh, Azov Nazis. Here's the clip. Republican senators voted against this, and I believe 57 Republican congressmen did. So there is a you know, not so small in the House, um, contingent of Republicans who are not in favor of this. Is it, is there a risk that as the midterms get closer, uh, that that increases? And secondly, if uh, control of one or both chambers changes after the midterms, should the rest of the world think there might be a change in congressional attitudes to Ukraine? No, I don't think, uh, I think the answer to your last question is no, they should not worry about that. Before World War II, there was a relatively strong group of America Firsters led by patriots like Charles Lindbergh. They just looked at the the world differently and and they were very, very much uh, opposed to us preparing to get into uh, World War II. I think that certainly has diminished, but there's that element there. And I think uh, there's some voices on cable TV that have uh, amplified that view. And so that was reflected in the 11 no votes in the, in the U.S. Senate and the 40 or so in the U.S. House. The reason we were able to, to approve this vast sum of $40 billion is because we are representing public opinion in the United States. The reason we were able to do it so fast is that we kept um, other extraneous, though important issues, away from the bill. And, uh, and the, the Republican leader, Senator McConnell, uh, made it clear 
that we would supply enough votes to get this done if, if we remove other issues that were going to take time. More COVID relief is important. There are a number of domestic needs that could have um, ordinarily been put in a supplemental bill, but it was done speedily because it was only about Ukraine and we reflected public opinion. She asked that question to every single panel member, got all of them on the record, and they all had similar answers. And I'm going to get to what he said about public opinion and how they're able to do it because it reflects public opinion here in a second. But this is what the midterms were really about. This is what was really being celebrated. This is why Biden and the media, they jumped up and they kicked their heels together because some of the most prominent, quote, election deniers that were endorsed by Trump lost. Some did win, but not enough won to make them worry that the aid packages are not going to go through. There was enough that won, however, to keep that threat alive because they need to keep that threat to democracy domestically and internationally alive, but not enough to actually stop all of that money going over there. So Americans voted in the midterms, if we believe the outcome, to continue the march towards World War III without, without knowing it. They unknowingly did that. And this is exactly what the Great Reset wants to. They want to further facilitate that transformation of society with a global conflict. All that's going to change when it comes to these weapons packages in the House to Ukraine is that the if we have a Republican House Speaker, which looks like we will, they'll just ref, they'll, they'll just say stuff like Biden said today. That there's not going to be a blank check, and they'll try and better reflect the the opinion of the public where they are. Okay, I stand with Ukraine, but. Are we just giving them endless money? So they'll act like they're being more cautious about it. Then go ahead and send all that money right on through, baby. Zelensky put out a call to action to us Americans and our politicians on our election day. At least he pretended to anyway. We don't know if it was actually him. He, he does a lot of pretending. But here's what he allegedly called for. He called for U.S. politicians to maintain unwavering unity and follow Ukraine's example <laughs> until peace is restored to to follow their example until peace is restored. It's interesting. And then he went on to say that democracies must not stop on their way to victory. When Russia decided to destroy our freedom and wipe Ukraine off the face of the earth, we immediately got united and we keep this unity. So they, they want us to be united so that we can all agree to fight World War III on their behalf. This is where the public opinion stuff comes in. They're trying to get the public to support us openly getting into war, involving ourselves. I mean, we're already involved in it with all the money. It's, it's just a joke to pretend that we're not. But kind of like they did with the Gulf War and the atrocity story where Bush went around telling the story, they could win public opinion using the atrocity story, which would then give the Congress men and women the confidence to vote in favor of the war because public opinion supported their vote. And that's why a lot of the celebrating is going on right now. A member of the Ukrainian parliament was also commenting on the midterms yesterday. He told The Hill that he closely followed the defeat of candidates who pushed for a more isolationist foreign policy, and he closely followed the victory of lawmakers who have supported U.S. assistance for Ukraine. Here's the quote. He said, speaking about the results from the Ukrainian perspective, it is clear that for Ukraine, the danger was in those people you call them isolationists or far-right people. No, no, we call them mega-maga, election denier, vaccine resistors, racists. That's what we call them. 
He said, you call them isolationist far-right people who were saying, let's not care about Ukraine. It's too far from us. These people, I think, they're not right. And American voters decided like this. You would almost think Ukraine was on the ballot, the way these people were talking. Maybe that's what democracy actually meant when they said democracy was on the ballot. That's what I think. I, I think when we say democracy, we were saying democracy in the sense that you that Zelensky says democracy. We say democracy is on the ballot. Zelensky says democracy is on the line in this fight against Russia, but not just democracy for Ukraine, but democracy worldwide. That's also what our politicians say. And that's also what Hillary Clinton said the other day, that their fight is our fight for democracy. And then democracy was on the ballot here. And they talk about, quote, election deniers the same way that Zelensky talks about Putin and Russia. They're anti-democratic, authoritarian threats to democracy. They talk about them the same way. And that is what they meant when they said democracy is on the ballot. And that is why they're celebrating. And setting aside this question about whether or not there was anyone messing with the results or there were some problems, which I'm sure that there were, there always is. It's stupid to think that there never is problems. There's always at least some problems. I don't know how large the problems are, but setting that aside, the reason they're so giddy is because the results mean that the American people, they don't really realize this, but they, they voted for this Ukraine global fight for democracy first before they voted for the pain in their wallets. That's the perspective. Although they just did it on the scale of the threat to democracy is domestic. But they're giddy because they can apply that same logic to the global fight for democracy against the same enemy, which is described the same way as the one, the anti-democratic Trumpian threat. They describe just like the anti-democratic authoritarian Putin-Russia threat. You see, what I'm, you see what I'm getting at here? They're using the exact same messaging that they're testing on Americans to get them to vote one way or another based on fear of democracy ending and their lives, things being taken away, taken away from them. And they're giddy that that works because it enables them to now, it won't be right away. It, it, I mean, this stuff works slowly. To now try and start a campaign where they will begin to win the open public support for actually entering into World War III, maybe officially by Congress, mandated by the American people who say, yes, we need to enter this war because there's a threat to democracy against an anti-democratic authoritarian, just like they did here. It's just going to transfer the same messaging strategy to gain support for World War III. They're giddy because they were able to get the people, Americans, to put their Set aside their own individual pain in the wallet, putting food on the table, feeding their children, paying rent, and put the needs of the global collective it's in this abstract threat ahead of that. That is war propaganda. That is how you get people to go fight and die in wars. Hey, you want to come fight in this war and die? Why? Well, we have to make the world a safer place for democracy. That was the called that was the World War I propaganda campaign, the exact same thing that they used on the ballots during the midterms, the exact same thing that they use to say that we need to keep sending money to Ukraine, and the exact same thing that they will use when they start trying to get us to definitely support entering the war, maybe even call for it. What this is, what it appears to me, is a celebration of the effectiveness of their propaganda campaign, a test run domestically, which also served a functional purpose of making it easy for them to continue sending all of our tax money over there to Zelensky, 
But more importantly, the success at a messaging campaign that can transfer to a broader scale in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, we were neutral when World War I started. Americans did not want to enter into World War I, but then came the we-must-make-the-world-safe-for-democracy propaganda, and that wasn't the only factor, but that was the theme. And then, you know, not, not long after that, people are going and sacrificing their lives for a war that, in the end, left a lot of people disillusioned because they realized they were lied to about why we got into it. And I worry that that could happen again if people keep buying into this brainwashing. So those who voted because they believed democracy was on the ballot and they voted to save it were actually voting for World War III. Congratulations on your win. Here's Biden during his press conference earlier today calling this a win for democracy. Well, we had an election yesterday. And uh, it was a good day, I think, for democracy. And I think it was a good day for America. Excuse me, I have a little horse. Our democracy has been tested in recent years, but uh, with their votes, uh, the American people have spoken and proven once again that democracy is who we are. The states across the country uh, saw record voter turnout and the heart and soul of our democracy, the voters, the poll workers, the election officials, uh, they uh, did their job uh, and they fulfilled their duty. And apparently without much uh, interference at all, without any interference, it looks like. And that's a testament, I think, to the American people. While we don't know all the results yet, at least I don't know them all yet, uh, here's what we do know. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And I know you were somewhat miffed by my, uh, my uh, obsessive optimism, but uh, I felt good during the whole process. I thought we were going to do fine. While any seat lost is painful, some good Democrats didn't win the last night. Democrats had a strong night. And we lost fewer seats in the House of Representatives than any Democratic president's first midterm election in the last 40 years. And we had the best midterm for governors since 1986. Okay, so there's Biden leading with that. And it was absolutely everyone in the news saying identical things and elaborating even further on these same talking points. Here is MSNBC's Morning Joe sitting next to Mika who is smiling strangely the whole clip and rubbing him on his back while he's talking. Like they're, they're celebrating this victory together. David Ignatius, I, you know, Gerard Baker, uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, he, he has his, his great saying and he says, you know, you go all over the world and you talk to people and two things are true. One, they loathe the United States. And two, most of them want to move there, mm. right? They, they still do. look at us as that city shining brightly on the hill for all the world to see. And I don't want to get too melodramatic. It's not that they celebrate when Democrats win and Republicans lose. But we all know. In capitals across Europe, in Ukraine, mm-hmm. today, this afternoon, um, and I must say, they're, they're celebrating this victory. And a guy in Moscow and, and a leader in Beijing are not. Look at that look on his face, this David Ignatius guy, whatever his name is. What, that guy, that just looks evil for those of you watching. These people, that, this is what they're happy about, I'm telling you. 
they're happy about the Ukraine getting the money still and this march to World War III continuing. Look how satisfied these people are. Because this is America returning to form, not ideologically, but just showing we are still a Western democracy and we are going to vote out election deniers. So, Joe, this... this you see that? We're going to vote out election deniers. This is what I'm talking about. This is a, the, how they're equating election deniers, quote election deniers. The term election denier, that's just a propaganda term. They're trying to make it associate with Holocaust denier. I question an election that has problems with it, as everyone should. There's nothing more democratic than questioning something that has an obvious problem. Everybody should question elections and scrutinize it because they will not be able to mess up if we all do that. But if we all just accept it and we think we're going to be equated to Nazis if we question it, then this is what happens. And they're trying to equate, quote, election deniers with anti-democratic Putin is, what they're, is what's going on right here. This was a, a good night for democracy, but it was a good night for democracies around the world. Right. So as President Biden says, there is a great contest going on in the world between democracies. Can you go to the polls and solve your problems? And autocratic governments like Putin and Xi and China who say, no, we need uh, dictators to run things. Life's too confusing. And last night was a night that showed that American voters, there weren't riots at the polls. There wasn't a lot of violence at the polls. People took their responsibilities seriously. They generally made good choices. One of the most interesting results to me, Joe, is that the exit polls show that only three out of 10 Americans think it's time to back down on aid to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Republicans had wow. been pushing that and had, had been, had been you know, saying. I don't know what poll he's referring to here, but notice the language. Three out of 10 Americans want to back down on aid to Ukraine. So that tells me that he had to do a little bit of word rearranging to make that statistic work for his little segment here, because that is not a natural way of saying that. So I'm going to actually try and find that and see what it really says, because he's obviously manipulating the conclusion of it. This is we're just getting too involved in this. And I think the American people respect the bravery of the Ukrainian people fighting against Putin, the sacrifice and loss of life. So they, they were steady. Uh, the world has been looking at us recently, wondering, is this country going to crack up? Mm-hmm. Are they heading toward a civil war? And think of all the articles you read in our media about how civil war is looming, right. and, you know, violence at the polls. That didn't happen. Nope. And I think the world watched mm. really carefully last night and said, you know, this America may be a little steadier than we thought. Yeah. Yep. And yep. in this battle against uh, uh, the autocrats, maybe, maybe the Demo- Democratic countries are a little stronger than we thought. Yeah. So that's my takeaway. There's this takeaway. It's all about Ukraine. It's all about Russia. It's all about the global fight for democracies around the world. That's what I'm talking about. Here's one more just to show you just how giddy these guys are. I don't want to overstate this fact. It's just a reality. And Republicans, if you're watching and you're our Trumpists, if you're watching and you're angry, too bad, because this is a reality. When Joe Biden walks into that room, Putin, she, MBS, they're going to be looking at a guy. They're going to be going, "Okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to deal with this guy for a couple more years because he just kicked Donald Trump's ass (laughs) (laughs) look at that smile look how evil these people look he's talking about the upcoming g20 meeting 
where Biden's going to be able to walk in there saying, oh, I beat all those America's Trumpers and whatever. That's what they're talking about. You should go watch this Morning Joe video if you're just listening to this and just watch the evil laughs and smiles that come across the faces of Mika and that David Ignatius guy. And everybody knows Joe Scarborough. You know, you don't ever want to be a secretary or an intern for Joe Scarborough. or You might hit your head on the desk. Here's a guy on Rachel Maddow's show talking about how some voters were, in fact, motivated by those threats to democracy. And this is why they believe that everything turned out the way that it did. So tuned in, so plugged into politics, and they know which side they're on and they know which side they're against. And if being motivated, if, if you're a Democratic inclined voter, you may not have been motivated based on all those poll numbers we showed to vote for the Democratic Party of Joe Biden, to vote for Biden's policies, to vote for what Democrats. Are, but you may also you may also be motivated to keep the Republicans from getting power. You may be motivated by this kept coming up in our polling, this label threats to democracy as an issue that voters were concerned about. In our polling, it was overwhelmingly Democratic voters who were giving that answer. I think one of the questions raised by these results is the looming presence of Donald Trump. His fingerprints are all over so many of these Republican candidacies. He was in the news on election morning talking about potentially running for president again in 2024. If that's in the minds of of Democratic inclined voters who aren't that nuts about Joe Biden, that might motivate them to come out and vote. That might have motivated them to come out and vote in this election. But this is this is looking like in terms of the turnout and in terms of the polarization and in terms of this House result, it's almost looking like a mini presidential election. It looks like almost Mm. identical polarization. Okay, so the fear factor, the if we make them afraid that democracy is going to collapse, we can get these Democrats to vote again. This is presuming that the outcomes that they're referring to weren't tampered with in some way, which I, I am not going to, I'm not going to say that they weren't, I don't know. I, I honestly assume that every election is tampered with, but they want us to believe, or maybe they themselves want to believe that this tactic work and fear-based appeals do absolutely work, but usually they have to be fear-based in, in that, and that people believe it's actually going to affect them personally. The idea of democracy being under threat is a bit of an abstract thing, but I guess Maybe they were able to strike fear in some people's hearts. I do know some people who have this kind of irrational fear of this, of Trump and their wombs being taken away. And I believe the abortion thing they connected to it was part of the example of how democracy is under threat. So that is the personal aspect of it. But this is also why I believe we know that Trump is not going to go anywhere because they're asking that question now. Is Trump going to go away? No, he's not. I mean, he's going to run again. And they want him to run again. They, they want all of this because they need Trump to be there because that makes the threat of democracy more remote and personal to people who are motivated by these type of appeals that they think are motivated by them anyway. That way, when they want to go and they want to motivate people to support a World War III effort actually entering into war, they can connect those two fears. So if if Trump is just gone and everybody's together, then, well, it wouldn't be everybody together. It would just be them silencing people who question things. But the way they presented it would be that everyone is together. But if they didn't have Trump in the news and they didn't have those fears salient in the minds of the Democrats they're speaking about here in this clip, then it would be harder to make that fear salient globally. So they need Trump to connect the global fear 
threatening democracy. That is Putin and anti-democratic authoritarians around the world to connect to their personal lives. Trump is that through line. That's why they need him to stick around. Now, I'm not saying that Trump is actively in on that. I don't know. But I'm just saying that's how they're using Trump. And that's how they will continue to use him. All right, you know, I was going to talk about the Georgia elections today, too, but I spent a little bit more time on that than I anticipated I would. So I'll save the Georgia election talk for tomorrow's show because I have a lot on that, too. There's absolutely zero chance of me getting through it today because I have like a ton on that. Interesting stuff. So what I'm going to go to, because I, I want to spend some time to it, is I'm going to go to the final story of the day, which is going to be about an Oath Keeper who was revealed this week to be an FBI informant. It, it's really an interesting story, and I'm wondering where it's going to go. Before we do that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMB XR, which is Twitter's new verification system rollout, or test is what it really was, and a new VR headset that's to die for, like literally to die for. So that's what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is the subscriber-only portion of the show. If you want access to that portion of the show, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there. Today, you will get not only the DNB, this show, ad-free. I take out all the ads for Patreon subscribers. You also get the XR subscriber-only portion, and you'll get them together in your own private Patreon RSS feed that you can pop into any podcast app and listen without stopping ad-free. Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report. You can also support the show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star review and a comment that warms my heart. Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report. Also check out the new website, PropagandaFight.com. Haven't done much with it yet, but all the shows do appear on PropagandaFight.com. All right. Now on to the final story of the day. Did you guys hear the story all today about the Oath Keeper and the trial? It was kind of under the radar. An Oath Keeper who was at one point in time the national vice president of the Oath Keepers, was revealed to be an FBI informant. So there's this trial going on this week for this guy named Rhodes, who is, I think he's the head of the, the Oath Keepers. It's a January 6th related trial. And I don't know much about the Rhodes guy. I was, I was only focused on this FBI informant because that was the what a lot of people expected. There was some provocateuring going on around January 6th. And the New York Times reported that the former VP of the Oath Keepers, his name is Greg McWerther, is an FBI informant who was secretly providing information about the Oath Keepers to the FBI in the weeks before January 6th. The Times reported that McWerther was embedded with the militia for months leading into the January 6th attack on the Capitol and that he was ultimately serving as the vice president of the group but was actually working with the FBI. He'd actually been with the Oath Keepers for more than months. He'd been with them for years. I don't know. If they didn't, it, maybe he didn't become an informant till later. I don't know. But there's some interesting background on this guy that they don't include in all the articles that I had to go find. This, the fact that he was an informant was confirmed by the Justice Department in a sealed filing. And this is where it gets interesting. In a sealed filing that was accidentally published on the public docket this past Tuesday night. The, prosecutor, the prosecutors filed a motion wanting to grill the defense attorneys about who leaked the McWerther's, McWerther's status as an informant to the New York Times? That information, prosecutors said, was marked as highly sensitive and was covered by a protective order. The, def the defense attorney said they, they had nothing to do with it, but the prosecution went on to say that the government asked the court to take these steps because of the substantial security and health concerns triggered by the premature leak of Mr. McWerther's status 
as a confidential human source. This is what they wrote in their filing. Even prior to the disclosure to the New York Times, McWerther conveyed to the government tremendous anxiety about his status as a confidential informant being publicly revealed. Now, he was scheduled to testify on Tuesday. The defense was going to grill him. But before he could do that, he suffered a heart attack while en route to Washington, D.C. on the plane or while he was getting on the plane. One of the two. It's not clear. Could have been his anxiety. I saw some pictures of him. He is a big guy, so it is plausible. But there's more. So he, he's not going to be able to testify in person. It is possible that he might be allowed to take the stand over video conference this week, though the timing is still unclear. There was a guy who eventually, his name is Michael Green. He testified today, the day after that other guy was supposed to testify. He was the operations guy for the Oath Keepers. He was their leader in that. And he didn't originally want to be, like he wasn't going to join the Oath Keepers originally. This is, he testified today saying this. And he eventually decided to because Werther, McWerther, convinced him to. So he was reluctant, going to walk away because he thought the, it's a black guy. He thought the group was racist. McWerther said they're not racist. It's not about that. Whatever. They convinced the guy to come on board, and the guy came on board, and he led the operations, apparently the, quote, operations, and he was there on January 6th. So that sounds like an FBI informant potentially entrapping somebody. You know, like you read all these documents about FBI informants just baiting people into doing things they wouldn't have otherwise done. It's starting to sound like that here. And I believe this is a case that the defense is making is that McWerther is the one who actually planted all these ideas in their heads and possibly entrapped them. That, that's, that's my speculation on what's going on here. And this guy, McWerther, in 2021... This is from the Daily Beast in an article on January 29th, 2021. McWerther was accused of giving the Oath Keepers discounts on ammo for post-election chaos. That's what the headline says. And the article says that in the days before November 3rd, the November 3rd election, the far-right paramilitary group, and this is the Daily Beast saying this, so they're going to be using a little propaganda themselves. The Oath Keepers sent out an email warning no matter who wins, chaos is sure to follow. Therefore, diehards should stock up on what this is. This is a daily call, the not daily call. It's the Daily Beast saying this this part. Before that was the quote. The Daily Beast says that. Therefore, the diehards should stock up on weapons and ammo at a cop-connected gun shop in Montana, which was offering a discount to members of the increasingly notorious militia group. Now. That person who ran that gun shop was McWerther. So he was the one offering the discount. He owned the gun shop. And it was a gun shop and shooting range, actually. And at the time, it was registered to McWerther, who, upon the Daily Beast contacting him, said that he would be selling the business immediately and it would have new owners by Friday. So a couple of days later, which he claimed he was doing because COVID hurt his business, which COVID didn't really hurt gun businesses, I don't think. But there's more about this guy. He's in a video in 2016 alongside Rhodes, who was on trial. And McWerther describes himself in the video as an Oath Keeper board member. And he details a call to action for Oath Keepers to monitor polling locations during the 2016 presidential elections. He's also been a sheriff deputy. And he's also been a radio host on Coast to Coast. Here, I'll put his page 
up on screen if they haven't taken it down yet. There's George Noria, George Noria up there in the right. And there he is. This is the guy, Greg McWerther. Here's his biography. Greg McWerther is a member of the board of directors for the Oath Keepers, a current serving law enforcement officer and the founder of the Western Montana Tactical Training Center. That is where these ammo discounts were given. As a sheriff's deputy in Indiana and Montana, he was certified as a law enforcement instructor and SWAT officer. For the Oath Keepers, he helped organize and lead the disaster relief teams that the Oath Keepers deployed to Houston after Hurricane Harvey. While doing so, he liaised with federal and local government and other relief volunteers. Maybe that's when he got roped into being an informant. In 2016, after seeing a need for experienced tactical trainers in in the Northwest, he founded the Montana Tactical Training Center, better known as WMTAC, and then it has that website. And looks like he only hosted one show there. I don't know what's going on with this guy. It sounds like maybe he he's definitely provoked action. He's definitely been part of the organizing. He said that. So if he's been a federal agent, that's the question. How long has he been working for the feds? Years or just right before the January 6th thing? And why? Like, why did he make a deal with them? What happened? He's obviously very nervous about being discovered. Is he nervous about being discovered because he betrayed people after being with them a long time? I found videos of this guy like six years ago with the Oath Keepers. I'll pull one up. I didn't watch it. It's like two hours long. You see this first one here? How to stop mass shootings. Greg McWerther. See what he sounds like. Some recommendation from me, some guy in Montana. This is recommendation from one of, from both of two ongoing studies. Okay, so that, that video has 78 views. Here's one. When the, when the next riot comes, Oath Keepers Stuart Rhodes and Greg Mc, McWerther join host Brian Engelman. This is six years ago. Okay, so that's some strange stuff there. And he apparently wasn't there on January 6th, but he, he was involved leading up to it. And we see that he is an instigator by his past actions. Maybe he knew not to be there. Very interesting. I wonder if the media will dig into him further. I guess we will find out. All right. I think that is going to wrap up the show for the Drive Time News Blast today. I appreciate you guys for listening. We will continue the conversation in the DNB XR, the subscriber-only portion of the show. Again, you can find that at patreon.com slash propaganda report. And you can find the Propaganda Report podcast, Drive Time News Blast, under the Propaganda Report podcast on any podcasting platform that you listen to. And you can check out propagandafight.com to see all of the shows in one place. We will talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.